0: Hey, Lisa. Hey, Julie. Happy New Year. Happy 2020. I cannot believe it's 2020 because I feel like yesterday it was like 1999. I
1: feel like yesterday it was 2010 and we were just starting our business.
0: I cannot believe we're celebrating almost to the date. A decade. Our 10-year anniversary. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. <laughs> Happy run yeah.
1: So exciting. And it doesn't feel like 10 years in one sense, but it also, we look back to 10 years ago, where we were 10 years ago. Could you imagine where we would be today, 10 years ago?
0: No. So 10 years ago, around January this time, we were gearing up to, we had just met, and we were gearing up to coach our very first Program. It was a running program at the uh, the JCC, the JCC in um, Montgomery County, Maryland, and we wondered if anyone would sign up. And yep. we ended up having about ten runners, ten or twelve runners. It was a nice size group,
1: but you know, a, and, and many of those runners are still friends of ours and runners now, which is what I love. So looking back to those pictures that we have and thinking back to those those first runs um it's it's really neat to see that we still have. We're still friends with those people. Some of them help us coach now. Some of them have gone on
0: to run marathons. Very cool. It was very cool, and we had T-shirts that said Fleet Feet on them because Fleet Feet sponsored the program at the JCC. Exactly. And Rachel Miller, our physical therapist, was part of the program and provided education on injury prevention. So it was the loosely a model that we still use today, but on a much bigger scale, which is pretty cool. Absolutely. I have a, I have a couple of fun memories
1: from from that first uh, season. I remember we went out for a run one evening. We must have run. We ran in the evenings. It was definitely in the evening. We ran at least one evening. Tuesday evening. Tuesday evening. So we mm-hmm. ran in the evening, and the forecast was fine. It must have been a little bit later in the program because it was when it started getting a little bit warmer towards the spring. And... Um, We went out for a run and we had checked the weather, looked fine, went out for a run and a thunderstorm came through. That's right. And we were rushing back. We thought everyone was going to get, we were going to be struck by lightning. We thought, do we have our insurance coverage taken care of? (laughs) And when we got back, everyone said, that was a little bit, that was a little scary. So we learned the value of really checking and double checking. Uh, Of the weather
0: forecast. I mean, I guess we learned value, but we've been burned so many times since then. We all have with weather surprises. But that was super scary because, given, first of all, the funny part is instead of thinking about the danger that our runners were in, which of course we were because we're both lawyers, our first thought was, hazard liability. Liability. I mean, that's crazy. (laughs) But I mean, of course we were so, we were running so fast and doing sprints. I completely remember that run. And then I remember the race was the Pikes Peak 10K, a really popular and fast 10K in Rockville, Maryland. And everybody finished this 10K, many of whom started out not running a step, And it was really, really exciting. And I think for both of us, that was really when we recognized the value of coaching to see that final product and Um, Shortly thereafter, we decided to form Run Farther and Faster and do this on our own. And here we are 10 years later, and I was counting just out of curiosity,
1: to get a sense of how many runners we've coached. And I think we're approaching, if if not above, we're approaching 1,000 runners between our group programs, our individual clients, our corporate programs that we've done over the years, um, the youth that we've coached, so many different uh, demographics that we've coached and groups that we've coached and individuals we've coached over the years. And we're probably close to 1,000 runners, which is really cool.
0: It is so cool. And what's crazy is I really... I know we both feel this way. I feel very connected to anyone we've coached. They're still part of our family. It's not like once we've coached people, we don't ever see them again. We really feel like they're they're still people we coach. So while some of our runners used um, running as sort of a gateway into exercise and are now doing other things and not running, that's okay. I mean, we're so happy they found something, but we, I, I know for me, I really just, feel such an affinity for anyone we've worked with. I feel like they're they're all unique. Everybody has their story
1: and it, it have impacted us yeah. in different ways all of them. So and we still get runners who come back to us and say, "Oh, I did your program. Yeah five, six, seven years ago. Sure. And while I didn't continue running, like it made such a difference in my life. It gave me a lot of confidence. And I've carried that over to something else that I do. And uh, so even people who don't catch the running bug and go on to run half marathons or marathons or continue, uh, it's it's been an important part of their lives and our lives. So I think that's that's great. So, how was?
0: Tell me about how how your break was. Oh, we wait, haven't seen you. Oh, sorry. Before we're gonna say the something? segue, I think we should. I guess we should probably mention we are doing a ten year anniversary party. It's relatively small. I mean, Lisa, you just mentioned we've coached over a thousand runners. We we are not doing a party with a thousand people. We, we don't have the capacity. We can't. <laughs> we can't find we, fine, we, we just can't. A thousand people. But we are doing a party. Um, of uh, about 60, 70 people. And we put out tickets on Eventbrite and with the hopes that people would come. And within a day, we sold... Sixty tickets. Well, they're and, free. We should say yeah, we, we, are, we we are
1: hosting this along with uh, our awesome uh, support from Lululemon, Gathersburg in downtown Crown, who who's helping us, uh, you know, have a venue and and supporting us with really great swag yes. to give out to celebrate. So um, so the the tickets were free, which it yeah. helps. But yes, within twenty four hours, <laughs> and we wish we had more capacity, and we wish we could include more people. So if you're out there and you've signed up. And you're on the waitlist. Stay on the waitlist. We hope that we'll be able to to let some some additional people you know, make capacity for for more people. Um, so. Yeah,
0: definitely. If you're interested and haven't signed up, go to. Our Facebook page, Run Farther and Faster, you'll see the Eventbrite link or our personal pages on Facebook. Um, You can find uh, the Eventbrite link also just by searching Run Farther and Faster through Eventbrite and sign up. Even though there's a wait list, we we have a feeling we'll be able to take a lot more people than 60 because it's sort of a fluid morning. So we're um, (coughs) welcoming uh, guest, uh, runners, world, course um, contributor and writer of the book Rebound. She co-wrote it with uh, sports psychologist Carrie Jackson Cheadle. Uh, Her name is Cindy Kuzma. We've talked about her on the podcast. She is also going to be a guest on this podcast. Coming in from Chicago, which is super exciting. She's a great, great Person and also a tremendous writer. Many of the articles that we happen to share on our social media feed often are articles written by Cindy. She's just a really eloquent writer that has really has a good pulse on what's going on in the running world. And she wrote this book because she saw a pattern on um, how people need uh, some advice on how to use mental skills to be able to recover from injury and setbacks. And that's certainly something we can all use. So we thought she would be a terrific person to come in and speak at our anniversary party. So Cindy is flying in from Chicago, and she will be there to talk about and sign her book. And she will also be on a panel with two people we just adore. One is Rachel Miller, a physical therapist of Pro Action Physical Therapy, who we just mentioned. She started with us. She started with RFF, and um, she's very much a part of our family, along with uh, sports psychologist Jennifer Lager, who also has been working with us and our runners for years. So we're really looking forward to this event. There will be plenty of time for chatting and schmoozing, and it's all going to and take celebrating. place. And celebrating, <laughs> and it's all going to take place. And there'll be plenty of food, thanks to the beanbag catering. And so, yeah, we'll be celebrating on Super Bowl Sunday morning, which is 2-2-20. Yep. So if you're in the area, we would love for you to attend. And okay. even
1: if you can't make it to that or you don't get in off the wait list and then we're limited in capacity, we have a group run this Sunday, 9.15 a.m. Our good friend, Zach Cohen from Cohen Health and Performance, is going to do a little talk beforehand about staying in shape over the winter and alternative ways to get in your strength and your training and supplemental training over the winter. He's also a physical therapist. He's a, yes, yes, exactly. And he's going to do a little talk and then we're going to do a run and we're supposed to have nice mild weather. Uh, so we are very excited to do that. And um, we've both been outfitted this week with some new gear from Lululemon, get to test some of the, those products. And some of our runners have had an opportunity to do that, too. So uh, come join us on, on Sunday and get in a run in, in some of the nice, mild weather that we're going to have this weekend.
0: Absolutely. So on to uh, what you had originally <coughs> asked.
1: Uh, <laughs> with break. we <laughs> were Now we're catching up with each other
0: in, in addition to catching up with our podcast. Talk to me, Lisa. Tell me about your break. Where to go? And um, while you could talk for hours about where you you went, tell me about your running. Try to keep
1: it brief. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, (laughs) we had a really big trip planned. Our family, we did a trip, a tour in Israel. It was a tour with a local synagogue. um, And uh, it was about 40 40 of us on the tour, families uh, our age with kids, our kids' ages. And it was a tremendous, tremendous tour and opportunity to see. All different aspects of Israel. Like, you know, you could spend months in Israel exploring Israel, but we really hit a lot of the highlights. So, um, we, you know, when we first found out about this trip, of course, you know, what's the first thing we do as runners when we have trips planned? <laughs> <laughs> it's the first thing we do. We say, "Ooh, is there a race there I can run while I'm there?" And I thought, first of all, you know, how how often would I have an opportunity to run a race in Israel? So I, I went online and found out that. Um, ironically, the Tiberius Marathon, which is a marathon that's in the northern part of Israel, around the Canaret, which is the Sea of Galilee. Basically, it's called the Sea of Galilee, but it's a really big lake. Uh, the Tiberius Marathon happened to be the day after our tour ended, so both Dan, my husband, and I
0: decided why not run a marathon in Israel. And can I add that the Tiberius Marathon is the same marathon that our guest last year, B.D. Deutsch, yes. uh, the top female Israeli runner, she uh, ran that last year. And that was her PR. Yes, because... which is a very interesting story. <laughs> so, so she had her PR that year.
1: I can't remember what it was. It was like, was it three... T- or no, sorry, 240, 240. 242, 242. Yeah. She had a great race there last year. I got to see her this year and I have to tell you, um, I, you know, I'll jump ahead a little and talk about the race. Um, but, uh, the, the race itself is an out and back along the canary. So it's 13.1 miles or, um, 21.1 kilometers out. And then you turn around and come back. So you see everybody coming back. And I saw her with the lead female, uh, bike, uh, with her. And, she runs with such joy. It was like she was floating through air. She had a smile on her face. She looked like it was effortless. And she all, all I could, the way the best way to explain it is that she looked like she was running with pure joy. And when I saw her, I gave her a quick shout out. I had our run farther and faster tank on and said, speedy beady, kolhakavod, which Kol Hakavod is, you know, congratulations, good job. You hear that a lot during the marathon. <laughs> kol Hakavod, Kol Hakavod, gave her a quick shout-out. And just seeing her and seeing her smile light up gave me a big boost. Oh, it really, and it. I just told somebody, one of our runners who's prepping for a marathon this weekend, I just told her we should all run with that joy. And if we can all run with that joy, we will all reach our potential. And it was just so evident just as a, somebody seeing her that she was running with that joy and looked light and carefree and and happy and appreciative. Uh, it was just such a neat thing to see and really gave me uh, a boost of, of adrenaline. So, um, so anyway, backing backing up. Um, yes, we decided we would we would uh, stay a few days extra, and we have friends in Israel that the kids would stay with, and we would run this marathon. Now, we didn't quite think through this very carefully that we would be running this on the heels of two plus weeks of nonstop touring. Not only nonstop touring, but on the Tuesday before the race. I got very sick. I don't know if it was the flu. I don't know if it was a virus, but I had chills and aches. And this was Tuesday and the race was Friday. And I really wasn't sure what was going to happen. I, I really, uh, you know, I was just taking it day by day. And I, I, my body felt achy. And really, up until the evening, actually, until the morning of the race, I wasn't sure I was actually going to run it. The night before, Dan and I got into Tiberias and we went for a late dinner. And I looked at him and I said, I have. I I cannot imagine waking up and running this race tomorrow. I feel so, so bad. So um, luckily I woke up and I felt better. It was like a miracle had occurred and, you know, it had run its course probably. uh, But I also knew I had been sick and didn't really know what to expect. So I went into it with uh, very flexible expectations of, of just seeing how I felt once I got out there. And Luckily, the weather was beautiful. It was about 55 degrees and sunny, which was odd for this trip. We had a spell of very untypical, atypical Israeli weather with a lot of rain and cold weather while we were there, which (laughs) in Israel- it's a, a miracle. Miracle. It's wonderful. They it's love They're so grateful. Right. And they need it. And everyone you talk to mm-hmm. says, yes, we need it. And, and it's absolutely true. So we weren't mm-hmm. disappointed. It, it threw a wrench in a little bit of our touring. But I was really hoping the weather wasn't going to be like that for the race because – we know how often we've raced in those those types of conditions recently and i just didn't want another rainy cold race. So the weather was beautiful, the vibe was so energetic. Uh it was such a really fun start line. Uh it was it was really great. So i got to the start and i said let's just see how this goes. And i felt really good for the race. I, I finished, ended up finishing. So i finished Boston this past year in 311. Uh my goal going into this based on how I felt, was just just re-qualify for Boston so I could have a time for 2021, just take a little pressure off the rest of this year. So I really didn't have high expectations, and I ended up finishing in 3.14. So three minutes off my Boston time felt pretty good. Toward the end, I could feel that my body was a little more fatigued than it normally gets at that point in the race. Um, But the race, the course itself is relatively flat, some gentle rolling hills. Again, the vibe was really uh, great. I, I was impressed at how many fast runners there were, you know, in a race that size, there were about a thousand runners in the marathon. There were more in the half and the 10 K and a race that size. Um, you know, usually I can place in the top, you know, top of my age group, top, top of the, of the women's field. Um, I was 13th woman and third in our, in our oh. 45 to 49 age group. So there were two other women ahead of me. One I think was about three hours and one was like three ten. I think that were ahead. There were a lot of very fast Runners, I, I was definitely not, um, you know, even I think close to the top of the where it would be in, in, in a, a similarly sized race in the U.S. I just thought that was interesting. What
0: countries were the runners? You were you said you were thirteenth woman, which is very impressive, and congratulations! It's really, yeah, congratulations it's, because that's incredible given. That you didn't feel your best. Right. And I didn't really and train. I will also go back up and say I didn't really train for this race. You know,
1: I had been coming off Marine Corps Marathon 50K and really felt like I needed a lot of recovery from that. I've talked about this Think in the last podcast. I just – my body was dragging and I just felt like it was taking a really long time to recover. And then with a B'nai Mitzvah, with our travels, I had a lot of travels. I traveled to Seattle. We traveled to Israel. Didn't get in a lot of running. I did two longer Runs in between Marine Corps Marathon 50K and this race. I did one 16 mile run and one 18 mile run. And the rest were all runs, I would say under 12 miles. So I really didn't do a ton of training, but I, I feel like I I
0: used some of the fitness that I had built for Marine Corps. You also the- teach a lot of cycling. Right. And I think that it is relevant because even if you don't have a ton of mileage on your feet each week, um, leading up to this race or leading up to some of your races, you are working your cardiovascular system right and keeping it at a certain level sometimes
1: multiple right times a day and I think too that some of that um you know drawing back on some of the mileage Mm -hmm. just because of necessity helped helped a little bit I felt Mm -hmm. much fresher by the time I got to I felt like my body had finally recovered by the time I got to the marathon. So, um, but most of the other runners were Israeli. I was running at one point with a Brazilian man um, that we were both speaking English to each other. Uh, So uh, it was, but it really, there are a lot of very serious, very good runners. And uh, you know, at no point, even though it was a quote unquote smaller race, at no point did I feel like I was running by myself. There were always big, Big chunks of of runners around where I was, so it was uh, it was a really well run race. It was neat to run in another country, uh, run by kilometers. You know, you got to challenge your Did mind a map. little bit, mm-hmm. challenge your mind. It kept my mind busy thinking and, and converting, uh, and it was just really nice to take in the beautiful scenery and a good way to to wrap up our trip. So, and now I have a qualifying time for twenty twenty one, which always for me takes. A good chunk of of you know pressure off or not pressure, but you know it's just nice to have that in in the bag and go to Boston to have fun
0: this year. Well, you you did an amazing job, and I I love that you ran that race because um, I've been to Israel most recently on two occasions in twenty. Um, Fourteen, and then again in 2016, and on both occasions, I too was in Tiberias. But I was there a little bit earlier than you in December, and I had the chance to see the course. Being I remember. Set up. Right? You
1: remember you had the so I can, start. You saw the finish line. Yeah, yeah, so I
0: can picture where you ran. Yeah. I can picture the terrain, and and it's cool that you ran this race below sea level. Yes, everything below. Entire race, entire course below sea level. So there was elevation change,
1: but it was like from negative 850 feet below sea level to like negative 700 people so all entirely below sea level
0: And also the cherry on top was being able to see uh, Beattie Deutsch, again, who we had on our podcast last year. For those who didn't have a chance to listen, um, go back and listen to her episode because she's quite inspiring. And let's say what she did this time. So go ahead.
1: 10 minutes off her time from last year. So she finished in 2.32. When I first saw that, I thought it was a typo. (laughs) I thought 2.32. And she needed that time to qualify her to represent Israel in the Olympics. So she yes. needed that. She needed to be ranked a certain number um, in the world. And that's the time that she needed. And it's just such a testament to setting your mind to to, to high scary goals
0: and believing that you can do it and, and accomplishing that. It was really cool. She's been very transparent on her social media platforms. Um, she kind of took a page from Des Linden and did this has done like a three part series, the anatomy of a PR mm-hmm. where she talks about all the steps that she took over the last year to knock those 10 minutes off. So if anyone has a chance to check out um, her Instagram is marathon mother and um, or you can just look under BD Deutsch and it's, it's a great recap of what she had done in her training to accomplish that. But there is a little bit of cont- a lot of controversy going on because the date of the of the Olympic marathon event is right now on a Saturday right. it was going to be on a Sunday and they moved it to a Saturday which for an observant
1: Jewish person somebody who observes the Sabbath Shabbat that is problematic and she has already said that she won't bend she can't. her she will not bend mm-hmm. her beliefs or her 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 observances to to run even in the Olympics so Uh, It'll be interesting to see how that plays out because I think there's still some uh, consideration going on as to to whether or
0: not the date is going to change, the day is going to change. I'm going to predict that it it gets moved. I I just feel like things seem to work out for Beatty. I I think there's something magical about the way she approaches things in her life. And and she is a deeply religious person, but at the same time, like you said, a deeply joyous person who has a lot of gratitude. And regardless of whether um, one is a person who has a faith or not, it's more about how you approach opportunities in life and look at them and challenges. And that's why we wanted to have her on our podcast. And we've really watched her trajectory unfold um, very much for me. I enjoy... Not just watching her running, but also how she approaches challenges. I yeah. think it's a very motivating, yeah. like you just and said. relatable too. Yeah. So
1: yeah. So tell me about your you. You also raced over break. Yeah. traveled and raced over yeah. break.
0: So um, not to that degree. I mean, that's super exciting. <laughs> not everybody does
1: That's it. um, something we normally.
0: My family went to uh, California. We did the southern um, coast of California. We did. Uh, L.A., uh, Huntington Beach, and San Diego and had a really nice time. And I found a half marathon to do in Huntington Beach on a Sunday – and my purpose for doing it was just I needed a long run. And if, if I can find – I'm sure there's many people listening that do the same thing. If I can find a supported long run while on vacation that's not too expensive, I'll do it because it's it's just a great way to, to commit to doing that distance and also feel safe right? no they Know that you have a route that's set yeah. out that you don't have to figure it out yourself. And, and free drinks and a shirt. Right. <laughs> and so um, it, it was actually a great – event. It was put on by a woman named Karen Ware. So it's C-A-R-E-N, Karen Ware Events. I guess it's it's like a racing company in California, but Karen uh, was there at the race. And it, it, I had to uh, video this, they warm up. It's all these people wearing like seventies outfits. You like the jogger shorts and high. Is that the theme or is that just everybody? No, like they the people on the staff, they're on the stage. So so I Ubered to the race. It was about a mile, maybe two miles from my hotel, but I wasn't sure if there was sidewalk to right. get there. So I just Ubered and I got there and there was a stage and music and people dressed in sort of like 70s-ish outfits, like the jogging shorts and the high socks. Like, and I get transported dance. back. My yes. Uber took me back in time. And they, had, they were warming up and dancing. And I <laughs> I had it, I put it on my Instagram. This was so funny. Our Run Farther and Faster Instagram, I put a little video of how people in, in Huntington Beach warm up for a race. And everyone was having the best time. It was such a party. And... Um, I just joined it and I was doing all the dance moves and stuff because why not? And when in Rome, why not? Yeah. Um great swag, these great hooded long sleeve shirts and stuff. It was much better than I thought it would be. Wow. Um very professional professionally executed race, timing, all that stuff. And beautiful course along the beach. How can you beat that? So it was for 10k, so you go up and back up and back. Whoa. Um and um coincidentally I started and I thought, well, I'm just going to kind of see how I feel like you. I'd been traveling all week and staying in a hotel room with my family, and you don't get the best sleep doing that, et cetera. But um, I felt pretty good. So I ended up running at a, a harder effort than what I thought I could do, which often happens when one puts a bib on. It just happens. I felt good and um, I maintained about like a 720 ish pace and ended up finishing it around 136. And my Garmin said the course is a little short, but everybody said it was 13.2 on there. So maybe I just cut tangents better. I don't know. (laughs) But um, while running, I saw somebody, one of the top males was wearing a car, capital area runner shirt. So I waved to him and talked to him after the race. And he is in North Virginia and like me on a race near the hotel. And um, the top woman was, um, she finished 10 minutes in front of me. She, her name is Gwen Twist. A uh, lovely woman. She runs with the Janes, which is a competitive, well-known elite running female running yeah. team in California. And Gwen and I chatted um, at the awards ceremony. I ended up finishing well behind her, but I was the second woman, which awesome. was pretty Congratulations. cool. thank you. And, She has a great story, so I won't spoil it, but I asked her if she could be a guest on our podcast. So she's going to come on this season and talk about her story. So she was incredible and she is training right now to, for an Olympic qualifying time, um, last chance to do that at the Houston Marathon uh, this month. A lot of runners trying trying there for their Yes. So, um, yeah. So that is my story. And... We want to talk about some advice for people. um, But before we do, I just have a random question for you. And I thought of this. Okay. (laughs) Um, We're now in the throes of winter. So just talk to me. What is If you had to name like two things that you cannot live without (laughs) when running in the winter, what are they? Okay. So when running, for sure, you know this. And
1: and I tell a lot of people this. But uh, hand warmers. So I like the um, uh, hot hands, hand warmers, and order them in bulk several times during the winter. I think I've already gone through a whole box of 40 already this winter. Uh, it is it is critical for me. I have Raynaud's, so I very easily lose feeling in my fingers and toes and can be very uncomfortable. And I Actually, when I first started running 20-some-odd years ago, I wouldn't run in the winter. If it was under 50 degrees, I wouldn't run outside. So I've learned a lot since then and definitely need. And instead of um, gloves, I wear mittens because the heat permeates better for me into my hand, So that's, that's one thing. And then a, a good jacket because I need to have my core uh, stay warm in the really cold weather. So we we both have the Another Mile jacket from Lululemon, which is super warm. So it can be a little too warm if it, if it's, you know, warmer out. But um, in anything below freezing, I, I wear that and I'm super comfortable and it keeps my core warm.
0: I've been wearing that jacket for the past five years. I yeah. have It it has been a lifesaver. It's pretty much all I wear. I have it in a couple colors and. Um, we're not talking about this because we're Lululemon ambassadors. In all no, seriousness, really... this jacket is the best thing for me too because I my core never seems to get warm unless I'm wearing basically a parka, and that's what it is. So it's not a jacket for every runner because some people right. run very warm, and if you
1: overheat easily, you don't want to wear it. But the nice thing about it too is that it's warm enough that you could wear it on a day that's a little warm. You can wear it with nothing under it. You can just wear the jacket itself or with a tank under it. Um, on days that are really cold, I I put on uh, on a base layer. So those are those are my my uh, my my go tos for for the winter. What about you?
0: Okay, so for me, I've got two things that are really essential, at least for now. Um, one is this cool hat that I found this year that I've been wearing every day. It has a headlight built into it with. Re- rechargeable battery. So it doesn't have the weight of like a headlamp, but it, it doesn't fall same. off either like a no. headlamp, right? And it it's, also it's doesn't attach, cause vertigo because it's like jumping, you know, yeah. that it's great. So you can find them on Amazon. I found mine in like a random gift store in our area. Yeah, you told me about it. I went out and got one too. <laughs> it's great. It's like $15. And yeah. The one I have, I think it's it's called headlights. A like lights is spelled L-I-T. L-I-G-H-T-Z, so it's Headlights Rechargeable Beanie. So if you just, like, Google Rechargeable Beanie, it's in there. I love this thing because I can see and be seen in it. It's great. Right. And then my other thing, and I wear these every winter, is I have to have a neck gaiter. I need something that I can put over my nose and mouth when I'm running but easily take down to breathe. I just get so cold um, in those areas, and I notice when I can't talk, that's when I realize – it's a real problem. So, yeah. Well, and also if you put up the
1: mouth, put something over your mouth helps warm up your breath As for people who, you know, it's hard to breathe when, when they breathe yeah. in that cold, that cold air. So speaking of winter training, we are now officially moving into Boston training and also runners who are training for other spring marathons. Training's kicking up, winter breaks over, we're starting to transition. So, um, for our podcast this season what we are planning to do is uh you know one episode each month on what we think Boston people training for Boston and other spring marathoners should be doing in their training and focusing on and how to approach training that, Particular month. Um, so, to that end, for this this episode today, we have created a to do list for the next three to four weeks in this first phase of Boston or spring marathon training. So, I think why don't we run through? You know, we now have between us, what do we have? Over thirty Boston marathon finishes, or almost thirty Boston marathon finishes, and we have got trained for a lot of marathons. So, I think we've learned both through our own training and coaching others. We're we're what to look at and what to focus on starting early on in training. So, why don't we go through some of those?
0: Absolutely. So, I just want to reiterate what you mentioned with respect to um, doing this once a month. The other weeks we will have guests again. Of course, right. But this is, we just wanted to do one straight sort of coaching Mm -hmm. guidance episode per month to help people. Because that's what we do. We coach. Yeah, that's what we do. (laughs) And we've made mistakes and we want to help people not make those mistakes. So, Top 10 things to do during this phase, which we call the base building phase. So this is your to-do list for anyone who's listening, who's training for Boston or any other spring marathons. Number one, focus on where you are right now and not where you wish you were or where you want to be. So I'm sure many of our listeners have heard this before, but it's so important to recognize that Your current fitness right now is what is relevant to your training and your paces and work from there. So whether your current fitness today is a result of taking some time off because you had raced in the fall, which is great and we should do, or a result of returning from injury, or you just haven't run a marathon in a while, but you've run a lot of shorter things. Or you ran a marathon last week and now you have to evaluate
1: how is my training going to start? Now, like, I'm not going to start my training personally, like I normally would. It's being, so like, exactly. where are you right now? How do you feel? You know, what is your what is your time like? What's your, what's your base like? And exactly, like you said, really important is to your paces, because we get a lot of runners who come to us and say, well, my goal is to run Boston in 330, or my goal is to run my spring marathon in a PR. And they want to start training right away at those paces. And we don't look at those paces. That's our goal. And we want to move towards that incrementally. But we don't start running those paces right away immediately right now.
0: No. And to that end, also, you don't have to do speed work right away. No. Um, For many runners, it's really not beneficial to do speed work, the first in the base building phase. And that is because if you're trying to get your mileage up and you're doing new, newly introduced speed work at the same time, those two things together can cause a lot of stress on your body and not necessarily cause injury per se, but maybe you aren't recovering as well to be able to nail the next run. And the reward or the benefit isn't really
1: worth the risk at this point in training. So much of marathon training is based on your aerobic and then I'd say the next most important thing is your lactate threshold and your body's ability to run hold a faster pace longer so it's not you know going out and hitting 400 meter repeats right away or 800 meter repeats right away really the the risk isn't worth the reward at this point in training the one exception I would say is is Um, not speed work, but speed develop. We call it speed development that we do with our runners sometimes. And that may be drills or strides, or even some short accelerations that work on neuromuscular development and your body's efficiency. So kind of retraining your muscles, firing up your muscles training your brain and your body to work together so that you're an efficient runner. So that's different. Those workouts that we give our runners and that we do ourselves are different than speed work in that the goal isn't to get into your anaerobic heart rate zone or to train your anaerobic system or your VO2 max. It is to train your neuromuscular system. So your heart rate, your average heart rate staying down because you have plenty of recovery between these maybe shorter um, uh, speed development. Right intervals. So maybe that's one area where we might and that's add for any else. sport. Drills right. are swimming, cycling. Exactly. Drills
0: are really important. So in running as well. But you're absolutely right. Um, and I think also with respect to looking at our current fitness and this, this we have ten things, but this one to us right now is the most important. So we're s- spending a little time on this. Um, you can account for your individual ability to build fitness. Versus someone else's. So, for example, while perhaps you feel out of shape, quote unquote, right now because you've taken six weeks off from running because you just ran the New York City Marathon, for example, or something like that, that doesn't mean you're really out of shape. You've got great muscle memory and great fitness. And you're going to build your fitness back a lot faster than someone who hasn't run a marathon in 10 years. You don't have to start at square zero and you don't have to follow the
1: 10%.
0: Exactly. There's a lot of, you
1: know, sometimes we adhere to this 10% rule of not increasing your mileage more than 10% per week. If you're somebody who's just taken off, you know, like you said, a a few months after a season of marathon or half marathon training even, right. And everybody has a different Um, uh, injury threshold. Everyone has a different uh, body's ability to withstand that, uh, withstand the mileage. You really have to know your own personal experience training. And um, if you haven't done it before, it's better to err on the side of being conservative.
0: Yes. So, um, Again, with looking at where you want to be and where you are right now, your easy days should be really easy, hard days, hard. And in terms of endurance and base building in this phase right now, always err on the side of easier. And don't feel compelled to run a certain pace because it has the number eight in front of it or the number nine in front of it. It doesn't matter. And and it won't um, affect your your
1: ultimate performance at the race I'll, I'll give a great example of you know my um, last couple of months of training I've just like I said before I've been fatigued from recovery from Marine Corps marathon 50k and my long runs were typically in the past my long runs have been in the 830 to 845 range my long runs were all over nine minutes per mile this last and I thought how am I gonna run a fast marathon how am I going to crank out a fast marathon and I got to the marathon and I averaged seven. 2730s, whatever that works out to be, you know, for a 314 finish. And I did it and the race day, but all of my training had been super slow. So you really have to, like you said, don't have expectations that, you know, or if last season you trained and all your easy training runs were in the eight minute range, but now you're running and your body is telling you that nines are comfortable for you and your heart rate is staying aerobic in nines don't feel like you've now failed or you're not as fit. That's just where your body is right now.
0: Absolutely. I actually have the same exact story in the sense that all of my easy runs are always in the nines lately. It's just how I feel. I tend to run slower in the cold. yes, And yes. Um, it's just how my body is. It takes me a very long time to adjust yes. to the cold and I run slower. Um, but um, I had no problem running 720s on race day. And guess what? I Race day was a little over a week ago. And this morning I ran and guess what I was You're running? <laughs> nine, nine thirty. Yes. Um, it's just where I am. And I know in, in my heart that it's it, it, it's better for me to run that easy, easy pace, even if it means I'm not running with the friends I typically would run with. I have to give that up sometimes. You have to, to keep, do you. You I have, have to, to do you. Me. And
1: you know what, you have to um, you know trust trust the process and and like you said, just you've got to do what works for you. And I did want to go back real quickly and say that is something so interesting that I noticed too, especially this year, is that the cold, I'm running a lot slower. When we went to Israel, the first day I went out to try a nice easy run in Israel, it was 55, 60 degrees. And oh my gosh, I felt so much better. And my easy effort, easy pace was back down to like 830 all of a sudden. And it was in while we were in Israel and the weather was like that. It was there. And then I got back here. And of course, I'm now I just run a marathon. I'm still recovering from that. But I go back to the cold and I'm back to feeling that slow. So that's a good point that your pace and your efforts or your paces really can change day to day. Are you tired? Is it cold? Just as much as heat, you know, anything above 55 degrees or so can impact your performance. And in the summer, we have a lot of runners who say, oh, I'm running so much slower because it's hot. We both say, well, in the winter, when it's so much colder, other direction also affects your ability to hit certain paces. So it can change day to day. Absolutely. Yeah. So number two, speaking of, of the schedule, the schedule is guidance, not gospel. And you don't want to hold yourself to either an unrealistic expectations or something so so strict that you are going to beat yourself up if you don't get in your run. So it is uh you know we've had so many runners who've had to make adjustments. Uh you know, my own personal story several years ago, you know, I had surgery in in December and I could not run again until February 1st and really kind of started back, you know, at post surgery recovery levels and had to modify my mileage and and not really reach the Ideal mileage that we would typically, or that you know people typically expect to hit in marathon training, and had a great race. We've had runners who've had to take time off for injury, for family reasons, and uh, you know, and and you really just have to be flexible with yourself. And speaking of family, this is a good time to sit down with your family now and talk about. Time commitment expectations. We've been off training for a while. We've had a lot of time to dedicate to family. Marathon t- training takes takes time and commitment. So it means you're going to be gone on weekend mornings. Maybe even if you go early, you're going to be gone. You're going to be taking some time from your family. So this is a good time to sit down with your family and say, "Hey, training starting again. You know, what can I do to make sure I'm present for you and I'm I'm here and involved in in my family life and what may I need from you in return, Uh, you know, understanding Sunday mornings, I'm going to be out doing my long runs and um, some flexibility. So it's a good time to set expectations so that nobody gets frustrated in this process of training.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, when I start training, the one thing that I think impacts my family is not my running, it's my sleep. Yeah. I need to get to bed. I just am so exhausted at night. I just can't hang. And um, I definitely see a pattern with me that I I am desperate to go to bed early when I'm in the throes of marathon training versus other times of the year when I'm able to sort of stay up a little bit later. I'm still someone who needs to go to sleep early, but I'm a, a little worse in marathon training. So yeah. that's a way to manage those expectations. And I like um, what you said with respect to this schedule, not being a Bible, but a guideline. I think sometimes... With a schedule where a group is following it, it can often influence your uh, ability to take a step back and say, whoa, wait a minute, that's not for me. So recognize that a schedule just means that is written. It doesn't mean anything else. There are so many ways to skin a cat. Yep. And um, there are many times in a season that aren't perfect. It's okay to miss some long runs. It happens. It doesn't mean that you're not going to finish the marathon or do well. So I like that. Um, number three I think this is critical during the space building phase because it's trial and error time. Start thinking about your race day nutrition plan. So if you're someone that you've been using gels or um, chews or anything like that, and you've heard so much about, for example, you can, and you want to try you can, because you've heard a lot about it, and Meb uses you can. You can try you can, <laughs> but try that you can um, a couple months out, like yeah, now, in training. start thinking about, get order it. Put it in a bottle, practice running with it, practice taking the – the. usually you take one before your run and then you take it during your run. Make sure it works for you. Um, I know there's some people that believe in running um, some of their runs occasionally in a fasted state. We do not believe in that. In fact, we, public, we posted an article recently that was published about why that's not really a great thing to do for endurance Let runners. Let me say we
1: shouldn't do we, – we don't usually recommend that chronically like, no. like for all of your runs. We have had some runners who – have had challenges with their nutrition on race day um, with, with bonking or hitting the wall where we've had them do some of their shorter runs uh, without eating breakfast in the morning and without fueling during the shorter run. Now, again, we wouldn't, we don't advocate for it for long runs and regularly because you need to practice nutrition on race day. You're going to be using nutrition and you need to know what works. And just like you need to train your body, you need to train your GI system. But um, I think there is some, you know, there's some validity, to to training your body to efficiently use the nutrition. But but yes, in read, terms read of- Read
0: this article. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, the jury's still out. I don't know the answer. I think it's very individual, but in general, yeah. yes, we do
1: not. But, but this is the time to practice all of that and to specifically practice the nutrition and not only practice nutrition, but think about, you know, your eating habits have changed over the past few months. I mean, all of us, maybe we're not eating the best because we've been, it's been holiday time. We've been eating less because our bodies haven't needed the fuel for our high volume training. Now it's time to shift gears and think back to, okay, what does my body need for fuel now? How much does it need? We usually need more than we think we need. When we work with dietitians, they tell us the number one deficiency they see with distance athletes is not getting enough caloric, enough caloric <laughs> intake and, and nutrients. So, um, so that's something, in addition to practicing your race nutrition, which you should start doing on an, any runs that are going to be longer than about an hour and a half. So mo- for most of us, that's our long runs now. Um, in addition to that, you have to think about your your, your overall nutrition as well.
0: Absolutely. I think those are great points and it's important to also recognize that you don't have to be perfect. Um, give yourself, Oh yeah, we're not perfect. uh, right? (laughs) And I think starting a running regime like marathon training, and then also trying at the same time to perfect your diet is quite overwhelming. So we're not implying that one needs to be perfect, but rather just overall assess how much you're eating and make sure you're getting enough. And we really recommend, um, as far as a dietitian, if your your insurance covers it, it's it's not necessarily a luxury if your insurance covers it. And we really like Amy Goldsmith because she does a lot of Skype. Um, she's with Kindred Nutrition. We can put that in the show notes. And she'll do like a 30-minute Skype session with you and kind of give you an idea of, of what your body needs based on feedback that you provide to her in advance. And I think that's super helpful for people that who may not know where to start in terms of Knowing whether they've gotten enough um, of their nutritional needs and, and macros, so to speak, enough carbohydrates. It's worth, it's worth talking to a dietitian, mm-hmm. and if people have questions about, you know, referrals to dietitians that have worked
1: with with athletes in in our area at least, you, and and those dietitians do like you said Skype sessions and work with uh, athletes remotely. Feel free to reach out to us because it does also take a dietitian that has specific knowledge. Of of the needs of yeah. marathoners and, and runners who are doing um, a lot of high volume
0: work. So, and c- I'm going to make one more point about nutrition before we move on, and that is um, sometimes people notice or complain that they experience quote weight gain. When they start training for a marathon, that's actually not what's happening. Your muscles are holding glycogen and water, and often your body will hold on to that for a little, for a few days, and that's what that is. So just disregard the scale during yeah, the marathon scale training. Worry about, don't, don't worry, worry about you it. You want to worry about your performance yes. and
1: your recovery, and not the not scale. numbers. Um, don't yeah, worry. You can't and you can't try to diet nope. and run and run a marathon. Unfortunately, so. But if you're
0: eating the right foods to feel your running, things will work All out. Fall into place. It yeah. will fall into yeah. place. Let's Number talk four. about,
1: let's talk about um, training on, on hills. Uh, one of the, the, you know, misconceptions I think is that Boston, it, well, it's not a misconception. Boston is a hilly course. Um, but one of the misconceptions is to be able to perform well at Boston, you have to do a lot of hill work. Um, and It's definitely advisable, and we recommend working some hills into your training, but moderation is the key. Running lots of hills and lots of hills hard is not going to make you a better runner at Boston. Uh, I, I think a focus on downhills is often neglected. The first part of the Boston course is downhill, and if your body is not prepared for that, your quads will be screaming by about halfway through. So getting in some downhill running. So that can be a downhill repeat of, you know, a minute downhill with good form uh, means like a slight forward lean from the ankles, relaxed form, uh, not leaning back and putting on the brakes, you know, just really perfecting your, your downhill form at a fast pace. So maybe starting out with six downhill repeats of about a minute at your 10 K effort, um, starting to incorporate some downhills into your training, but running lots of really hard hilly routes uh, isn't going to necessarily make you better prepared for Boston. I think doing some strength training certainly can help, um, but running those those extra hilly routes all the time and, and really hammering those hills is really just going to do more damage to your body than prepare you for Boston.
0: Okay, so next is uh, number five, get fitted for shoes. We'll keep that brief. Go to a specialty running store. Most people listening to this podcast already know the drill. But, but if you need new shoes, time to time <laughs> to do it. Yeah, yeah, because you probably will want another pair uh, about four to six weeks before Boston. So now would be a great time to, to get the initial pair. And if you rotate, think about – where you are in the rotation. And if you just quickly,
1: if you haven't been fit in several years and and if you have any um, bilateral pain, like bilateral shin pain, ankle pain, knee pain, maybe time to go back to your running store and, and get reassessed and refit. Okay, so number six. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, this is, goes back to, again, looking at you individually and how your body responds to training. Um, the, a lot of times we think, um, you know, we should have a long run. We should have a tempo run. We should have some speed work in, in the course of the week. And that that's a general guideline. But for some of us, um, that works well. For some of us, that doesn't work well. Maybe that's too much. And maybe you're more injury, you know, more likely to get injured with a little bit more speed. So maybe more endurance work. Um, is, is better for you. Same thing with cross-training. Is Are you somebody who might want to incorporate more, more cross-training into your training? Generally with marathon training, um, more isn't always better. Sometimes less is more, and that goes with the paces, that goes with the training workouts. So really look at, you know, what have you done in the past? Has that worked? Uh, do you think by changing it up, you can take a step up and you know maybe get off of a, a plateau, um, or or do you think by doing that could that lead you to be more more injury prone? So really have to assess your personal your, your your yourself as a runner and
0: and how your body's responded. And if you're not sure, that's when it comes in handy to get a coach. Exactly. Uh, number seven, strength training. Uh, strength training is overwhelming. Understandably, because we only have so much time in a day. We're and we've all heard about all the things we need to do already. And sometimes it's hard when you look at a schedule that says strain training or core, you kind of look at it, you prioritize your run, and then you hope you get to it later that day. And a lot of times people don't, and we understand. So our suggestion is to our runners that struggle with getting in strength training, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, is exercise snacks where you fit it in when you can during the day, three days a week. And here are six snacks that we recommend. We're gonna break it down and make it really simple. If this is all you have time to do, this is good enough. Here's six key moves that we suggest doing in three sets of 15 to 20, three days a week, after a run or if you run at night, early in the morning where there's several hours between the strength workout and the run. Push-ups, different variations. Planks, different variations. Squats, single legged or traditional squats, again, different variations with or without weight. Lunges, with or without weight. You can do those with a TRX strap. You can do them just with without weight, straight through. Um just you can do make, them moving. You can moving. do it. Yeah. You know, yes. Good dynamic warm-up. Great as well. Um bridges, again, you can do them with or without weight. Single we like single-leg bridges. Um, running is a single-leg sport. And um, once you've perfected the bridge, because it should be hard, it's not easy, then uh, single leg is very effective. And lastly, clamshells. So these are six moves. While there's so many options in strength training out there and so many good programs, if, if this is all you have time to do, it's good enough. And this is for the purpose of strength building and injury prevention. And if you do these correctly and consistently, it will Definitely help, and importantly, correctly. So, if
1: you have a resource nearby you, a, a a trainer, um, somebody who can show a physical therapist, somebody can show you the proper way to do these. That's really important too. Uh, you can always look on YouTube for variations and modifications, like you mentioned. Once you get good and comfortable with something, moving on, modifying it, progressing it. Um, doing it in different planes, doing it single leg to challenge your stability. Um, but but really, everybody has time to fit in six, three of those twice a day. If you wake up in the morning, spend 10 minutes before you go to bed for 10 minutes. No equipment needed. Yeah. Okay, number eight, sleep. And we talked about this a little bit before, but... Just like nutrition needs to change now that we're training and our body's demands are different, we need to get sleep. Sleep is the number one recovery modality. We have lots of other things that we can do and try and gadgets to use to help with recovery, but sleep is really the only tried and true way to recover. And so now if that means getting in bed a half hour early, turning off the phone, the the electronics, whatever that is,
0: prioritizing sleep. All right. Number nine. This is really important and something we'll talk about a lot. Work on your mental game. We really suggest specifically for this base building phase, practice going into your workouts with a mantra, maybe a mantra that you plan to use on race day and a positive approach. Um, We often find it helps to say instead of I have to run, you you say I get to run. That little change helps a lot. Uh, If you are faced with tough weather conditions, which we all will be this winter, instead of looking at it as a setback, try, of course, safety first. We don't want anyone running on ice. But if it's windy and cold and blustery, try your best to look at it as an opportunity instead of a setback. It's an opportunity to practice in case you have those conditions on race day and an opportunity to to get bragging rights
1: after. Absolutely. You, You went out and you were tough as nails and got out in some tough
0: conditions and got through it. Absolutely. And if you are running on the treadmill, instead of thinking of it as the treadmill, think of it again as an opportunity to train your brain, to train your body, to do something that is repetitive and maybe not as pleasant as being outside in the fresh air. It's, it's just like
1: everything else that we train. Mm-hmm. We talked about training our GI systems and training mm-hmm. our bodies. You want to train your mind so that on race day, when you hit a tough spot, because in a marathon, you're always going to hit at least a couple of minutes of, of a challenging challenging conditions or challenging time y- your reaction is is instinctive right away you come up with your strategy your mantra your whatever strategy you've practiced it comes easily and naturally you don't have to struggle to find it and you can get
0: past that and on to the rest of the race definitely and related I think it's important when you are training with a group, if you are lucky enough to have a group to train with, look around and make sure that you're surrounding yourself with people who lift you up and who are positive. If you feel like your running group is is working together to lift each other up, that's a perfect way to train. But if you feel that there's something going on where the dynamics might make you feel that you're in a comparison trap or you're just not feeling like it's lifting you up the way it used to, then maybe it's time to... Make a change that you're surrounding yourself with positive, a positive environment. It's just something to consider and um, something to kind of look at in terms of the big picture. And lastly, number 10, and hopefully everyone's done this or is about to, and that is book your logistics, hotel plane, and um, where you plan to eat. And if you haven't booked your hotel yet, uh, look outside of the city. Uh, you know,
1: there are plenty of options outside of the city. You can easily take public transportation. A lot of the hotels range for shuttles in Uber. Uh, so, you know, it all is not at a loss if you haven't booked anything yet. But start thinking through that uh, because those are the little details that you can square away now and not have to be stressed about
0: later. So those are our top 10 tips for the base building phase. and. This concludes our first podcast of 2020. And Lisa, I'm very excited to be back podcasting with you weekly. And we look forward to a great season. And if anyone wants to reach out to us with suggestions, feel free to contact us through Instagram, um, DM at Run Farther and Faster on Facebook, or of course, email Julie and Lisa at com. And I hope you have a great week, Lisa. You too. Bye. Bye.